I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hi, friends. It's Vin Scully. It's time for Dr. Clapper. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar sinai Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Saturday mornings from 7 to 9. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> yes, Doc, I love your show. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Good morning, Los Angeles, and welcome to another edition of the Weekend Warrior Show. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Clapper. I'm an orthopedic surgeon at Cedar sinai 33 years and counting. Wow, what a great day I had in the operating room this whole week. I'm giving a shout-out. To my tech from Miami Beach, Florida, Stanislaus. Never worked with him before, but it was beautiful. Poetry in motion to be in the operating room with him yesterday. What a day. My first patient, six foot four, 280 pounds. That's as big as Marcellus Wiley. Both his knees, but I'm doing them one at a time. Had old ACL surgery in the past. So I had to use the correct screwdriver. Yeah, you think all screwdrivers are the same? All screws are the same? No, they're not. And of course, one of the screws was right smack in the middle of his tibia, exactly where I needed to be. So this surgery from 25 years ago, and his knee ultimately wore out. I cannot put the implant in without getting that screw out. Preparation before the surgery, making sure no stone is unturned. And then to end the day, you could go on Twitter. You'll see the last surgery I did, a reverse shoulder replacement. Literally, God made us with a ball and socket in one way, and I, as the surgeon, flip it in reverse. It's crazy but it's one of the most awesome surgeries that I do because it's so counterintuitive to what you're doing as a surgeon. We always want to put things back the way they were. We want to fix them. Not when you do a reverse shoulder replacement. You're fixing somebody, but you're fixing them by doing what God made backwards, and it works. Very technically demanding can only imagine balancing the structures so that it doesn't dislocate. Believe me, I I thought about that surgery for the last week, and it came out perfect. You want to see what a perfect one looks like? Go on Twitter. You'll see it, at Dr. Robert Clapper. Well, at 8.15, we were going to have a guest call in. I was so excited. 
calling in from New York. He runs a giant company that's involved with interpreting foreign languages in the worlds of medicine, in the world of law. They're an interpretation service. It's not just getting English correctly, which is hard enough for me being from Far Rockaway. But what about if the patient or the plaintiff speaks a different language? That's what the company is all about. But of Salachas, our guest, Eric, got COVID. He texted me yesterday. I won't be able to make it, Dr. Clapper. But that's okay. I put the show together, and we're going to power through anyway. And I have a story to tell you that happened yesterday walking in the hallway of the operating room at Cedars-Sinai, where I've spent my entire career, that it may make you cry. Tears of joy. You remember the story about Lucky the dog adopted by Saul Bernstein? Well, yesterday was a story also that was incredibly special, touching my heart. And I'll tell you about that as well. But the topic became the power of words, particularly foreign language words. And in my life, that foreign language and its power in art, in sports, and in surgery goes back to this song. That's not his name. His name was Richie Valenzuela from Pacoima. And the man who discovered him also changed his own name because probably it was too Jewish because his name was Robert Kuhn, K-U-H-N. And he changed his own name to Bob Keen. Bob Keen is the man who discovered Richie Valenzuela and changed his name to Richie Valens. And in 1958, La Bamba, a complete song in a foreign language in Spanish, changed the music world forever. It made it as high as number 22. It actually became a number one song when the movie came out. And Los Lobos, the movie really reinvented it told the story but when it first came out it was powerful you got to hear the story beyond the movie of discovering Richie Valenzuela and how La Bamba came about as a song to begin with you're going to hear it from the man himself Bob Keen in an interview these sound bites are just incredible the power of those two words, La Bamba. And you'll hear how it almost didn't happen because Richie Valenzuela did not want to sing about his Mexican roots. It was this Bob Keane who pushed him. And what about in sports? In sports, the two most powerful words together happens to be in Spanish as well was in 1980 when Roberto Duran 
whose name in Spanish was Hands of Stone. Roberto Duran was tough. He's Before there was a Mike Tyson, there was a Roberto Duran. You got in the ring and you were just afraid of him. An assassin. And Sugar Ray Leonard fought him and lost and immediately wanted a rematch. Only this time, Sugar Ray Leonard figured, I'm going to get him when he's weak. Because I know after he wins, he celebrates and goes from 147 pounds to 200 pounds. He gets out of shape. If I do the rematch right away, I'll catch him. And I won't fight his fight of just standing there. I'm going to dance around and taunt him. All these years, I always thought the translation of no mas in Spanish means no more. But actually, it means no more. But it doesn't mean no more fighting you. Roberto Duran, a proud man, did not like the crowd laughing at him because of how Sugar Ray Leonard was taunting him in the second fight. He, What he meant to say is, no more of you being a clown and clowning me. Not no more fighting, but no more clowning. Howard Cosell, who called the fight, starts screaming, he quit. He said, I quit. No, you're not going to tease me anymore. Powerful words. And even in English, we don't get it right. Will Arms is going to play from this week alone, a couple of days ago. An interview with Doc Rivers trying to defend his job as a coach. He's an amazing coach. He's a world champion coach. I wish the Lakers would have Doc Rivers. But then you're going to hear the power of words when James Harden is interviewed. And he's going to say two words that also don't mean what they're supposed to mean. You're going to hear James Harden at the end of the soundbite say, next question. Oh, my God, does that have meaning? Let's play it, Will. Let's play for the weekend warriors. The power of words. Because they're not exactly what you think they mean. Let's go. I don't worry about my job, Howard. I think I do a, a terrific job, and if you don't, then you should write it. Because I worked my butt off to get this team here. When I first got here, no one picked us to be anywhere. Uh, and again this year, the same thing. So if that's how anyone feels, write it, and I, I'm going to feel secure about it. The results face business. And that's it is, I but you don't do it every year. Uh, every time you're wrong, should you lose your job? No. So uh, it's the same thing, all right? But listen, if you believe that, then go with it. I know how I know what I did this year, and I feel very good about that. But again, if you believe that, Howard, then you just run with it. Did you? So to be clear, you plan on still opting in. So do you? To be clear, you plan on still opting in. I'll, I'll be here. Yeah, I'll be here. Whatever makes this team, you know, um, whatever can, allows this team to continue to grow and get better and, and do the things necessary to, to, to win and compete at the highest level. James, you said the ball didn't get to you. Does the coach call plays to try to get the ball to you? Nice question. Did you hear that? 
Does the ball? Does the coach call plays to get the ball to you? Next question was James Harden's answer. There's a lot more going on to those two words. Next question. This is a radio show. I'm talking to you. This is all about listening. Yeah, Clapper Vision's great, and I can't wait to do our segment with Will Arms on John Morant and poor Danny Green with Joel Embiid falling on him. What exactly happened? What is a bone bruise? You need some Clapper Vision of why the Memphis Grizzlies didn't have their star. He didn't tear a meniscus. He didn't tear his ligament. He didn't fracture anything. He didn't dislocate anything. How could you be bounced out because of what's known as a bone bruise? You need some clap revision to understand that, and we'll do it. And the power of language in the world of food. Oh, boy. We all know what pizza is. I'm from New York. I'm from Far Rockaway. You know how you get to my house? You make a left at the gunfight. That's how you get to my house. Pizza's a religion where I come from. It's a word. But we're talking about the power of words today. Well, guess what? There's a city called Chicago who thinks, as we say in New York, forget about New York pizza. We got better pizza. We're from Chicago. Blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what? This week I've been eating pizza from Chicago here in L.A. They didn't just have someone open up a place in L.A., that kind of shoulda, woulda, coulda Chicago pizza. They helicoptered in the oven and the whole damn store from Chicago. Geno's East is alive and well here in Los Angeles. And just like the words mean different things, the crust is yellow. It ain't white like the crust I'm used to eating. Just like that reverse shoulder replacement I told you about. They reverse where they put the cheese in the sauce. You don't look at burnt cheese on top. You're looking at tomato sauce because the cheese is underneath it. The whole thing is crazy. But they use the word pizza. But boy, is it delicious. And I'm going to tell you where you can get it. Coming up next, we're going to go into detail of what exactly happened with Roberto Duran using those words no mas, and how it broke the heart of Sugar Ray Leonard. 33 years later, they go in a ring together, make icon together. Icon, he's 70 years old now, Roberto Duran. But you'll hear Sugar Ray Leonard say, I still hate that guy. I despise that guy. Because he used those two words and how it affected his career. I'll take your calls as well. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
Hey, it's Sedano. You know there's no better way to start your Saturday than when my guy, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m., Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. With tinted windows. Can you imagine? Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. While I'm in Italy. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. History changed when those two words came out on the radio in 1958. You're going to hear the story of how that happened and why that happened and the power of those two words. First, I want to talk about the power of those words in the world of sports. This is 1980. Howard Cosell calling a fight between Roberto Duran and Sugar Ray Leonard. Has begun. I think people have underrated the physical strength of Sugar Ray Leonard. He is much stronger than his body appears. He is working Duran effectively. And Duran must resign to pulling in. Howard Cosell is documenting how well Roberto Duran, or I should say Sugar Ray Leonard, is doing until this happens. Listen carefully. When Howard Cosell, he doesn't speak Spanish. He screams out, he quit. No mas means no more, Howard. What? Duran has quit. Roberto Duran has quit. There can be no other explanation. Pandemonium in the ring. And Roberto Duran has quit. Roberto Duran has quit. What exactly does that mean? Listen to the story. This is an interview with Sugar Ray Leonard about that fight in 1980. They fought three times. The first fight, Sugar Ray Leonard lost to the man with the hands of stone from Panama. And he couldn't wait to get a rematch, knowing that he gained weight and was out of shape, and he was going to fight a different fight. They made a documentary at ESPN, but listen to the interview with Sugar Ray Leonard. They have a reputation as the meanest man in boxing. He is said to have knocked out a woman and a horse, each with one punch. If you walked into the ring or met him in a dark alley, would you be afraid? <laughs> so would I. He was a macho man who feared no one. It was a savage in the ring. Marcel said he could take out a bunch of um, lions in the ring. And I can remember all the articles reading about Duran. I can remember um, Joe Frazier saying he reminds me of Charles Manson. That's Roberto Duran they're talking about. Well, what a time it was when boxing was king. Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran gave the world a show. They fought three times. But the middle fight was the one everyone remembers. Roberto Duran, hands of stone turned his back on Sugar Ray and uttered the now infamous words, no mas. He wanted no more in the eighth round. No mas was the middle of the three fights that you had with Roberto Duran. He won the first in a split decision. The rematch happened just five months after the first fight. What kind of buildup was there, Ray, leading up to that second fight? Well, it was an enormous buildup. Um... I, after that first fight, which was brutal, I mean, beyond reality, I took my wife to Hawaii to just cool down and cool out. But while I was there, I was running on the beach, and all of a sudden I'm feeling 
that I could do this again. I should do this again. I should get my title back. Yeah, but now listen to Sugar Ray Leonard figure out that let's do it right away because I know he gets fat and out of shape. I called Mike Trainer, my attorney, and I said, Mike, I want to fight Roberto Duran again, ASAP. Because I also knew that he, between fights, he would blow up to heavyweights. I mean, he would go from 147 to 200 pounds. It was that on top of I wanted to fight my fight, to use my hand speed, to use my my boxing ability to be mobile, and I knew it would be a different story. To taunt him, to tease him, this proud machismo fighter, Roberto Duran. Oh, boy. This whole thing backfired, though. You know, I hated Duran, and that's a bad word. I, I make sure I tell my kids never to use the word hate because it's because of what it says, because of what it means. I despise the man. He, Roberto Duran was was something I'd never experienced before. I mean, he, with hand gestures, uh, grabbing himself and cursing me or cursing my wife, he did some things that were just unimaginable or unthinkable. Yeah, well, he still was the king. Um, he got under my skin, yes, it, and it did work because I wanted to beat him at his own game in Montreal, the first fight, which proved to be not smart. He got personal with you, and you were handling Duran in that second fight. You even taunted him mm -hmm. throughout the fight. What do you remember most, Ray, about what happened in New Orleans in that ring? What happened was such, was, it was so spontaneous, extemporaneously. I mean, I, when I was doing this, these moves and these herky-jerk and these antics. And the crowd started to laugh. This is what I'm getting at. When he says no mas and Howard Cosell says he quit, it's because he wanted him to stop taunting him. He still felt he could knock him out. No mas means no more teasing me. Let's just fight. None of this nonsense. I heard the, the fans or the audience laughing louder and louder and louder. And the more they, the louder, I mean, the more they laughed, the more I did it. And then I saw a reaction in Roberto Duran's face. That's right. Like, what is this? I mean, I don't think he understood what was going on. And I, I truly believe he threw his hands up in frustration without realizing the ramifications it would have on his career or legacy. Yeah, but it also blemished the legacy of that whole fight and your legacy too, Sugar Ray Leonard. He, well, the first person that jumped into the ring was my brother Roger. Uh, he said, Ray, he quit, he quit, he quit. And, you know, after Duran made that, those gestures with his hands of no, 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 I mean, that was pretty much, you know, the game. I mean, Duran did this, which to me indicates I don't want it anymore. But it was such, it was such a, a time period or time st stuck. And, and it, because no one knew. It was so bizarre that no one knew what the heck was going on. Now listen to the most revealing part. And it's today's topic. No mas not only means I don't want you taunting me, not I quit fighting. But also, you're going to hear 
how Sugar Ray Leonard feels that it stole the fight in that the referee didn't end the fight. Sugar Ray Leonard's fighting didn't end the fight. But the whole narrative is now, because he says no, Moss, that Roberto Duran chose to end the fight, leaving Sugar Ray Leonard out of the equation. It's fascinating. Listen to this. Nomas tortured Duran. There's no doubt about it. And the documentary does a terrific job at showing exactly how it affected him. But what I learned that I didn't know when I watched the documentary was how it affected you. What impact did Duran quitting that night have on you and on your career? Well, I thought it was great because I won my title back. I beat the great Roberto Duran. But it was more so about why he quit as opposed to that I made him quit. And that bothered me for a, a number of years, well, I should say a lot of years, because when you hear Roberto Duran quit, you hear, well, he quit. No, no, I made him quit. He hated that. 33 years later, ESPN decides to put the two fighters in the ring. They're old men now. But listen to how that bad blood is still there. From your standpoint, what was that like for you to... And the meeting was in a boxing ring. What was it like for you to step into a ring with Roberto Duran and stare him face-to-face 33 years after your no-moss fight? I'm glad you asked that question because if you look at his eyes and look at my eyes, you, you can see the uneasiness of both of us. It was not comfortable. I mean, here's a man who tried to knock my block off and I tried to damage him uh, myself. And 33 years later, we stand in the ring looking at each other with respect, but not knowing for sure what will come out each other's mouth. I'll tell you what comes out. No mas. What? Duran has quit! Roberto Duran has quit! There can be no other explanation than Duran in the ring, and Roberto Duran has quit! There is another explanation. He didn't like the teasing. Basketball, football, golf, the sports that we play, they're an entity into themselves. You'll hear players all the time or coaches say, you have to respect the game, the golf gods, the basketball gods. This becomes a very spiritual thing, the respect for the entity And in Roberto Duran's mind, this dancing around, teasing me, was disrespecting not just me, but boxing. Come on, we're in the ring. We need to be fighting, not doing ballet. If you're going to do that, Sugar Ray Leonard, then I quit. I'm not afraid of you. I'm Roberto Duran. You're going to do that? I came here to box. I didn't come here to dance with you. That's what no mas really means. And all these years later, those two words, the power is missed. Coming up next, where again in Spanish, two words. To be honest with you, they're missed. Because you're going to hear from the man, Richie Valens. He's, may he rest in peace. He dies at 17 years old. He only had four songs. So all we have 
is the description from the man who produced those and helped make those records happen. Robert Kuhn from Manhattan Beach, who changed his name to Bob Keen because he felt America wasn't ready for someone named Kuhn, a Jewish name. He had to change it. Well, when he meets Richard Valenzuela and realizes his talent, says, hey, you're going to go far, young man, but you can't be Valenzuela. You're going to have to be Valens. The power in words. You'll hear about it in the music business. Coming up next, the number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Mace. You know, there is no better way to start your Saturday than with Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. And don't miss Mason in Ireland back Monday at 1 on 710 ESPN. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. It's a junior super deluxe. you got to be kidding me. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Ding, dang, dong. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Buckle your seatbelt down. I need you to hear an amazing Los Angeles story. About this man that you're hearing, Richie Valenzuela. I almost don't want to say Richie Valens because that's his made-up name. Because the music producer made up his own name. But that was America in 1958. Those disc jockeys were not going to play a song if your name was Valenzuela. Bob Keen was right. But protective. Roberto Durant, protective of the... The game of boxing, to not, in his mind, disrespect it like Sugar Ray Leonard was. That's the same thing that Richie Valens felt about Bob Keane, his producer, driving a car. Richie Valens sitting in the back seat, strumming the guitars. They drive to San Francisco for some TV event. And the music producer says, what are you strumming on the guitar right now? And Richie Valens says, oh, this is a song that I used to play on the front porch growing up. It's a Mexican folk song. And Bob Keene driving the car. You can just put yourself in the car right now and imagine it. Goes, that's a really catchy tune. Who cares what the words are? Maybe we'll make them in English. Richie Valens says, hey, buddy, keep driving. 
I ain't making this song for you. And I certainly not going to sing it in English. It's a Mexican. It's my heritage. It's the respect for the game. Well, of course, Bob Keane finagled his way to get him to do it. But God bless Richie Valens. Because you may want to change my name from Valenzuela to Valens. But you ain't making these these lyrics in English. I'm going to, if you want me to sing it, I'm singing it in Spanish. And that one decision by this 16-year-old kid at the time busted open the door for all Latin music, all foreign language music. Because up until then, on the top 40 hits, it's only going to be in English. Listen to the story. Bob Keen telling you about what happened meeting Richie Valenzuela. Hello, my name is Bob Keen. I'm president of Delphi Records. I discovered, recorded, and managed Richie Valens. This album is a tribute to one of the phenomenons of the entertainment world, whose image, like Elvis Presley, has continued to live on through the years long after his death. His contribution to the music scene and to the Latin people of the world will hold him dear to all for as long as there is music. You're here about the very first hit they had together. It's called Come On, Let's Go. Well, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, little darling. And tell me that you never leave me. Come on, And here we go. Come on, let's go. It's one of the first songs that he sang when he came up to play for me at my home. Richie's material was never written down on paper. He had only to lean back in his chair and start playing and singing. One day, someone said to him, Come on, Richie, let's go. And from that simple beginning, his first hit, Come On, Let's Go, was born. Unbelievable. He would always come to me with a four- or eight-bar song, a couple of lines of lyrics, and that's all he ever had. Come on, come on, let's go, let's go. That's all there ever was. He never wrote anything down, and he never sang the same words twice. He'd make up songs and immediately forget them. So from the demo, with a lot of effort into tidying up the melodic structure... Working with Richie on the lyrical pattern and working out the correct meters, we transformed Come On, Let's Go into virtually a different tune. In July 1958, I felt Richie was ready to record, and I set up our first session at Gold Star Studio in Hollywood. And get ready for the name he's about to mention, because we talked about her on a show maybe nine months ago. The greatest musician in Los Angeles history, Carol Kay. The only woman in their wrecking crew with Glenn Campbell and all these other incredible artists that made up Phil Spector's wall of sound. Who knew? Playing the guitar with La Bamba. There she is again. 10,000 songs, literally. Carol Kay, who's still alive. And I know you listen to this show, Carol, so here's another shout-out. I teamed up Richie with a band which recorded for Little Richard, Sam Cooke, and other hit groups and singers of that time. Renee Hall was on lead guitar, Earl Palmer on drums, Buddy Clark, downbeat award-winning bassist on upright bass, Irving Ashby on rhythm guitar, and Carol Kay on a Dan Electric guitar. Mm. Richie also played rhythm guitar, and the date produced his first single, Come On, Let's Go. It was backed with Framed by Lieber and Stoller, a songwriting team that was responsible for many of Elvis Presley's hits. Mm. I first heard about Richie Valenzuela from a young man who was preparing my new business cards for Delphi Records. 
The date was May 1958. My offices were in Studio City, California, a small town located in the San Fernando Valley, just outside Los Angeles. He asked me if I'd be interested in hearing a young Latin boy from the town of Acoima named Richard Valenzuela. He said the kids out there called him the Little Richard of San Fernando, and I told him I'd very much like to hear him, since Little Richard was a very popular singer at that time, along with Sam Cooke, who I had recorded on my first label, Keen Records. Bob Keen became like a father figure to Richie Valens. Who I had recorded on my first label, Keen Records. I caught him on a Saturday morning at a theater where he stood up in front of the screen before the matinee started. He was this bull-like kid with an opera tenor's torso, and he banged on a beat-up guitar and had a little beat-up amp worth about $30. After the concert, I met Richie and invited him to my home. I remember the day he arrived along with a car full of his friends from a band he was playing with in Pacoima. He didn't know one song all the way through, but he had written some titles and words that he always played. He was very unschooled and very raw. He knew only three or four chords, and everything he wrote and played was based on those chords. That's right. Richie was born Richard Stephen Valenzuela, a Mexican-Indian-American in Pacoima, California, a Los Angeles suburb, on May 13, 1941. His parents, Joseph and Concepcion, separated when he was a child. He went to live with his father, who died several years later. Richie then returned to live with his mother, but nothing indicates that Richie's boyhood was harsh or unhappy, even though he was raised in near poverty. Young Richie would spend evenings on front porches in the company of family, friends, and relatives who sang lively Mexican songs for hours. They sang La Bamba. So this little kid wants a guitar so badly. His first guitar was a cigar box with two strings. Richie himself had a toy guitar made from a cigar box when he was five, which his uncle John Lozano helped him build. Later, Richie met a musician named William Jones, Sr., who lived across the street from his Aunt Ernestine. When Jones saw him trying to play an old guitar with only two strings on it, he replaced the missing four and taught him how to tune them. He also showed Richie how to fret several chords. Richie was left-handed, but he learned how to play right-handed and became an accomplished guitarist. In junior high school, he built himself a green-and-white electric guitar in woodshop class, the same guitar he would later use to launch his career. Fascinating. He went to Pacoima Junior High School, but he had a fear of flying, which ultimately cost him his life. But he actually dodged a bullet. Listen to how he nearly died just going to school. Now that we have one life to live, that was a statement made by the president of the student body at Pacoima Junior High during an assembly one day in January 1957. Seconds later, there was an earth-shattering crash on the school grounds where a class of young boys were just coming in from their physical education class. Two airplanes had collided directly above the school, and one of the planes, a jet trainer, fell to earth on the playground. Three of Richie's friends were killed, and 70 others were seriously injured. As fate would have it, Richie was not at school that day. He was attending his grandfather's funeral. Had he been there at school, he could very well have been one of those killed or seriously injured. Hmm. From that day on, Richie had a fear of small planes. Well, how did La Bamba come about? We know he heard that folk song on the porch. We know he made his very own guitar and wood shop in high school. How did La Bamba come about? This is what's so fascinating. For the next couple of months, Richie and I were making appearances in and around Southern California to promote Come On, Let's Go. I first heard the song La Bamba while driving with Richie to a San Francisco TV appearance. I had just purchased a new Thunderbird, 
and Richie was riding in the back seat, strumming his guitar. Suddenly, I heard this melody, and I asked Richie what it was. He said it was called La Bamba, a folk song from Mexico. I felt it would make a good Latin rock song, but Richie didn't know the words, and he didn't want to record it anyway. He felt it might demean the music of his heritage. Several weeks later, he agreed to record the song, so his Aunt Ernestine gave us the lyrics, and we were back in Gold Star. And this is the story now, final bite, sound bite, where he decides to change his name. This really tugs at your heartstrings when your producer, your surrogate father, says you're going to have to be someone different. By the end of September 1958, Come On, Let's Go had reached the top 40 on the national charts, and I felt it was time to make a tour with Richie and introduce him to the nation on American Bandstand. I knew that the disc jockeys of America had never seen an act like Richie, and I knew they'd be surprised to see that he was a Latin American. I shortened his name to Valens because in those days, if you had a Latin name, you were a Latin act, which, of course, wouldn't have a chance of even being listened to by the DJs on the top 40 stations. Isn't that incredible? That's why Richie Valenzuela became Richie Valens, because of this guy, Bob Keane, who was really Robert Kuhn. From Manhattan Beach, by the way, he was born in 1922. So he figures, hey, you want to get in this business? You got to change your name. But don't you love it? Richie Valens sang it in Spanish. What would have been if he didn't die in that plane crash with the big bopper and Buddy Holly? The day the music died. The song American Pie. But he did make four songs, and of the four, the greatest was La Bamba because it changed the world for all of us. The power in those two words. The power in No Mas. The power in saying pizza for putting Chicago next to it. Coming up next, we're going to do some clapper vision. The ultimate use of words to paint pictures. Our segment with the great Will Orms, where there's a will, there's a way. John Morant and Denny Green. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. Hey, it's John Ireland. You know there is no better way to start your Saturday than with the man who replaced Michael Thompson's hip, Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. Don't miss my show, Mason and Ireland, back Monday at 1, all here on 710 ESPN. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. My mother is felling in heaven right now when you say that. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, Renaissance <laughs> Man, Surgeon Sculptor, Smoother. Gee, Lord have mercy. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. The great Richie Valenzuela, known as Richie Valens. Two words, La Bamba. And in the world of sports, no moss. Got to remember to tell you a story about two words in my world of surgery and how that led to one of the most touching moments yesterday, walking down the hallways in the operating room. But before we do that, let's do our segment where there's a will, there's a way. Let's do some clapper vision. Oh, my God, is it exciting right now with the NBA playoffs. Will, take it away. Yes, the NBA playoffs are coming down to the final few series, and one of the series that honestly lasted a little longer than I thought was going to be the Memphis Golden State series, especially when John Morant went out with a 
bone bruise. Um, that's not an injury that I feel like you hear a lot. It's not a sprained ankle or a, you know, sprained wrist or shoulder or even an ACL tear or anything like that. Um, it's not as serious as an ACL tear. It doesn't seem to be, but he was ruled out for the remainder of the playoffs. Now, obviously Memphis got eliminated last night, but my first question is what is a bone bruise? And uh, what is his realistic recovery time for that bone bruise? And could he have played, let's say, if they had made it to the next series next week? Could mm. he have played next week? So when a person sprains their ankle, there's a difference between, hey, you get put in an air cast, no big deal. But then you'll hear about players, they sprain their ankle and they're out for a couple of months a plain x-ray does not show you deep in the bone. An MRI does. And with the advent of this amazing technology, we can see things that you can't see on the x-ray that we never saw before. Yes, we can see the ligaments. Yes, we can see the cartilage. But we can see if there's a black and blue mark in the bone. And if that black and blue mark goes even further then that bruise actually can become a stress fracture or even an overt non-displaced fracture. So a bone bruise is something we only will see when an MRI is done. Yeah, good news. His meniscus isn't torn, John Morant, his ligament, his ACL isn't torn. But on that MRI, the black and white study, which crazy in 2022 is not in color but that's a whole nother soapbox i can get on we look for shades of gray and a bone bruise on an mri where the bone marrow on the t1 or t2 there are different images we have that are different coloration normal is on the t1 let's say is when the bone should be looking black on the mri it looks white in this one blanched area. And the opposite is true. On the other, the T2 image, the other magnet, where the bone marrow should look white, there you will see a black patch. That bone bruise, no fracture, but bruising in the bone, here's the clap revision, is as painful as a headache. Right? If any of you and most of you listening, you've had in your life a headache. Oh, my God, that pounding in your head. Well, one of the reasons for it is because of swelling. The brain is inside a coconut, your, your bony skull. If there's any kind of swelling, just a tincture of swelling, the skull, the bony skull does not allow for expansion. If you get whacked in the arm, you get a black and blue mark. You get a bruise. But the bruise is in the skin. It's in the muscle. It's in the soft tissues. And you get swelling. It, it, it allows the expansion of that bleeding or inflammation. Yeah, it's a swollen knot that you feel. But when you have swelling inside the brain or inside the bone, it can't expand. So it's this throbbing ache. Some of the most painful injuries we see 
are bone bruises. I would almost argue that a fracture hurts less because the crack in the bone releases that pressure. But the bone isn't cracking. It's just swelling inside. Massively painful. And there's not a damn thing you can do. Ice, yes, helpful, but it is not making the swelling go down inside the bone. So no surprise that this minimalistic injury we saw to his knee with no real structural damage kept him out. Wow. I would have not equated... So when I when I hear bone bruise, I, I guess the first thing that pops into my head is just a, a simple bruise, you know, like on your arm or your anything else. But the expansion else. can occur in the soft tissues. It turns black and blue, green and yellow, and then it dissipates. It goes away. The swelling also goes away. There's no place for swelling inside the marrow of a bone. And yet the periosteum, the saran wrap that's, that wraps around our bone is rich with nerve endings, super rich. There are nerve endings around the blood vessels that are inside the Hervergian canals, inside the bone marrow. So when you get pressure on those nerve endings around the blood vessels and around the periosteum, the saran wrap around the bone itself, it's massively painful. Hmm. All right. Well, that's good to know. So unfortunately for Memphis, obviously they were eliminated yesterday, so he'll have plenty of time to recover now. Cold-blooded killer. We we don't call him Clay Thompson at this radio station. You know what we call him? The son of Michael Thompson. That's what his name is. Yeah, yeah. He had a big game last night, uh, 30, 30 points, I believe. Um and and uh, uh, yeah, unreal. So they'll they'll be in the next series, and they will play the winner of Phoenix uh, Dallas, right. which is also another good series. Right. So another series that ended is the Philadelphia Miami Heat series. Yes. Uh, we did play a soundbite from from James Harden earlier, but another player on Philadelphia suffered uh, a more catastrophic injury, which could very well be the way that he ends his career. And By the way, Will, really did James Harden say no Moss or next question? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> Definitely next question, but you know, there, I, I'm not sure that there's a lot of difference in those two for well, him. Well, it may be no Moss to being with Doc Rivers, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. That, anyway, it'll go be ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no worries. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out, especially with uh, – Philadelphia being on the hook for uh, a lot of money with that guy, and he is not yep. giving them a lot of production. Right. But one of his teammates, Danny Green, and and it sucks because Danny Green's a guard who really has not a lot of business being down around the basket, uh, gets fallen on by his even larger teammate, Joel Embiid, who is a massive human being, and he ends up with a torn ACL and LCL. And Danny Green is up there in age. He already, you know, is very much on the decline in terms of his career. So I I believe, and, and you made this point, that this could be the end of his career. This could be the way that he goes out. I, I don't know that he, I'm sure he can recover in terms of quality of life just fine. But as far as recovering and then playing again, I don't know that that is in the cards for him at this point. You have to look, Will, at the video, and you will see. Remember what Dr. Ranawat taught me. The eyes don't see what the mind doesn't know. Go on YouTube. Watch the play again. Three 
orthopedic things happen in this particular injury. Number one, as Joel Embiid is falling on Danny Green's left leg, he's falling into his mid-thigh, this giant of a man. And look carefully at Danny Green's left sneaker. And what you will see is, uh uh-oh, it's actually hyperextended. If you look at where his thigh is and where his foot is on the floor, you realize that's way beyond being straight. So it's hyperextended. That's number one. That's not good for the structures inside your knee. Number two, the, the angle of the effect, the mechanism of injury, the force is not only above the knee at the thigh, hyperextending his knee, but here's the second thing that's happening. Joel Embiid is moving into, and it's, it's a bow-legged position. It's called a varus deformity, which is bending the leg outwards, changing the angle of the knee, making it like when you want to make an arrow sign, that triangular arrow sign. That's what's happening to the knee, so that varus force that's happening to the knee. That's not good for the lateral collateral ligament and the ligaments on the outside. And as that force continues, it hits the ACL as well. And the third thing that I want you to look at when you look at that injury is the rotation, the twisting that occurs. Your cartilage, your cushion, it's a shock absorber. The meniscus, that rubbery structure, clapper vision, The meniscus is like your ear or your nose, this rubbery cartilage. And it's it's made to be like a spring going up and down as a shock absorber. It is not made to resist twist or rotation. So you are going to knock out the lateral collateral ligament. You're going to knock out the ACL and that rotational movement. There's going to be damage to your meniscus as well. Any time multiple ligaments are torn, we worry about two other things. Did you smack the artery? We really worry about in a dislocated knee, did you damage the blood vessel, the main guy in the back, the popliteal artery? And we also worry about the perineal nerve. This is a horrific injury. Thank God it was not a dislocated knee, but you better do vascular and neurologic studies to make sure it's okay Let the swelling come down, and you need to rebuild that knee, which we can, but that's a lot to ask for a veteran player to come back from. So we pray, we hope he will be returning, but that's going to be a tough uh, hill to climb. All right, coming up next, great segment, Will. I'm going to tell some stories about the power of language. In today's case, it's going to be both Spanish and English. When the words, they could just be two words, like no mas, or next question, or la bamba. But there's a lot more going on in those two words, those power of those two words. Coming up next, we'll get into it. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN.